Hello there, and welcome to episode 30 of Cuzzo Op. I'm your host for this episode, Willie, and as usual, we've got IV, Isaiah, yo, the big 3 0, Willie? The big 3 0? The big 3 0, yes, sir. We, we be taking a lot of W's here at Cuzzo Op, in my opinion, you know, getting it launched off the ground was just so special to us, and now we at 30, bro. We're gonna celebrate every milestone from 26 being halfway through the year to 30 for being the big 3-0 to 31 because it's 31 and it's more than 30 you know but let's talk about a different milestone that you've recently reached you finally sat down and watched star wars rebels a show i've been telling you to watch for a long time and after our star wars episode and siege of mandalore episode you've finally done it so milestone achieved my brother achieved bro and I'm so ready to jump into it tonight because it is one of the best journeys I've been on. And, and honestly, one of my favorite TV journeys. You know, I know we've had some monumental TV journeys, but in the last year and a half, this is one of the more memorable journeys. And I'm so glad I tapped in. I'm, I'm also glad I waited this long to tap in because I think it was perfect timing. I'm really happy to hear you say that. You know, I, I guess it was just in in time. You were meant to watch it now. So... You've done it. I'm incredibly happy. So can you just speak a little bit so that people can understand like where you're coming from, from your Star Wars experience from, you know, before our Siege of Mandalore Jedi Survivor episodes? Like what was Star Wars to you? Yeah, man. I mean, the journey has been nothing but meaningful. I had seen a lot of the older movies back when I was younger, you know, like high school, college early college um and then of course end of high school early college is when the the seventh eighth and ninth movies came out in the in the in the in the nine so i watched them all and i enjoyed them all for different you know reasons and as i said in our star wars episode i'm one of those guys that's on the team tlj like i think last jedi is up there it's my favorite piece of star wars but rebels is up there warring with it bro i'm not even gonna lie to you it's like on the other end of this journey you know, I've watched Mandalorian. I've watched, um, again, Siege of Man Mandalore in that last season of us of uh, Clone Wars together with you as we did a recording in an episode on that too. And it's just, it's been a great journey because I realized how great uh, George Lucas set this, this uh, universe up for rhyming and for connections and for cameos. And honestly, not even cameos, real significant like drop-ins and story um, overlapping with the characters and I, I, bro, this show is filled with so much of that. And we're really dropping this show and this episode. We're really dropping this episode because Ahsoka picks up right where Rebels leaves off, right? So it's like, I needed to do this homework to be able to progress in the journey. And it was just, it was amazing, man. It was really amazing. I really have high, if you're one of my people and you're around me, you know, I've been recommending this to everyone, but uh, man, I highly recommend going through this one. If you haven't. Now this episode of Cuzzo Op is coming out because if I'm not mistaken, Ahsoka is your favorite character, you know, and, and there's some pretty big Ahsoka stuff going on recently. So is she your favorite character still? Like well, what's, what's going on there? My favorite Jedi is still Cal Kestis from the video games. I, I really like where he's shaping up to be. But I also like to say that that's not uh, official because we haven't got his last and we need a trilogy story from him first. But uh, I like where he's headed. Ahsoka would definitely be um, my favorite, I think, just because of what she navigates. This show, though, this show touches on that point that I love from her, which is why it makes sense that they're connected. Um 
And so, yeah, I got to I got to think about that, bro. It's still fresh. For those who don't know, I finished I finished the last episode of Rebels today as of the day of of this recording. So, very fresh in my mind. I need to let that simmer. But this is part of what this is about. Yeah, you know, so when it comes to my journey with Star Wars, like Star Wars always kind of felt around, you know, I watched it as a kid. My grandmother was like a Star Wars person where she was very much of the this is my trilogy and here's your trilogy. She was the originals, but she recognized that the prequels were mine. She would always say to me, that's your Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, that's not necessarily mine, but it's it's still Star Wars. I, so I watched Attack of the Clones millions of times after school. But, you know, as I got older, after dressing up as Anakin and Obi-Wan for Halloween, when the Clone Wars came out and you and I went and watched all that, um, you know, in my in my early adolescence, you know, Star Wars took a little bit of a, a, a backseat as there was no content really releasing for some time. And then it came back and I enjoyed the, the sequels for better or for worse most of the time. You know, there were a lot of things that were wrong with it. But then, you know, when The Mandalorian came out, that was like the spark that started it all up again. And then when the pandemic hit, I was like, it's time to go back and watch it all. And my friend Austin, who wanted to do it all chronologically, we sat there and we did it. And it was just like, yeah, this is my favorite thing ever. That's my Star Wars journey. But we're here to talk about Star Wars Rebels, which I watched while releasing. And um, you just finished it for the first time, as, as you know. We've said so, you know, this could be a long conversation because I know there's a lot to get to speaking about, but let's just hear your thoughts, bro. Star Wars Rebels, what do you think? First and foremost, I think it's just important for us to acknowledge that Dave Filoni and his team have put out some phenomenal pieces of work in the form of cartoons. You know, this is the same guy who made Avatar The Last Airbender, and I have thoughts on that. We'll talk about that. But, I mean, he's the one doing everything Star Wars right now. And I just think like he knows how to write a good story. He knows how to create some great story arcs. But much much of what I have so much respect for him um, in is his ability to have concurrent story arcs that are meaningful. And, um, and I think that that's what I was overwhelmed by in this. It's the development of every single character in the initial group. And there's even some sublines from other characters, sub-characters that I really enjoyed too that were, saw, they were, they were handled with love. Um, but but the main characters in this, I love what they do with each and every single one of them. And so I was never watching an episode and feeling like it's filler, never watching an episode and being like, oh, like I know there's some, some charts out there that tell you, oh, you can skip this episode. It's not important. Skip this episode. Not important. Nah, man, I'm glad I watched every single one and I'm glad I didn't mindlessly watch it, like binge watch it while it's playing in the background. Like I'm talking about, I sat here and I watched it like it went crazy. And my recommendation is if you're someone who hasn't seen it and wants to, you you do the same. You fo- you put time aside to like really dive in. And um, bro, what it means to be a Jedi is is completely being redefined by this show in particular. I mean, there are a lot of other games post this, but I mean, when was the last year that this show came out? 2018. So it's like from 2018 to 2020, we had like a little bit of silence, nothing crazy. There was, there was not in, in this, in this storyline in this story arc. And so I really appreciated them picking it up, picking it up and giving us a continuation of, um, something really important for what it means to be a Jedi. 
It's so meaningful to watch like the stories of like seven, eight and nine and them kind of poke holes and really create flimsy Jedi lines. In my opinion, like Jedi, uh, what it means to be a Jedi. It's not clear. But then in this, they're so clear. They're like so clear that I want to go back and watch all of Star Wars all over again, just because it, it gave me something new to look at as I go through Clone Wars, you know. Um, so that's why I'm hyped for Ahsoka. But. In terms of the point of what it is to be a Jedi, I'm excited to touch on that because you and I have had like very like brief Quizlet type discussions where it's like very fast with one another straight to the point about, yo, this was dope. Oh, yeah, facts. But we haven't actually talked about it. And I have things I want to say, too. But before we touch any of that, for anybody who have may not seen Rebels, a lot of the turning away for a lot of people is the animation style. I don't want to watch that because it looks like this. And so I ask you, how are you able to push past that? And do you know why it looks the way that it does in, in a lot of the, the scenes? Um, I don't. I don't. And I mean, I know in comparison to Clone Wars, you can see the progression and the connection at the same time as the years go on. Um, I mean, when you watch 2020's release of season seven, of of clone wars you can see that that's the the next step like it's it developed even more but you see the growth really really real time because it's not a long series clone wars has a lot of episodes rebels only has four four seasons 20 episodes 22 episodes each season last season has 15 so it's like you get a small concise amount of development and i i enjoyed that one um i i didn't need it to be perfect because it's like if you're one of those people who lets the animation style stop you from the story, then you shouldn't even be watching the story to begin with. In my opinion, it's like you're not dedicated. You're not dedicated to enjoy it. It's just pickiness. Like how many Avatar Last Airbender is a complete cartoon. I know people who just write it off because it's a cartoon. Baffled, bro. There's so much good stuff in there, bro. Same with video games. Well, I mean, for starters, I'm going to be real budgeting. They didn't budget the show as well as they could have. So that did play a role. Then there's this idea that it looks like some of the original concept art from A New Hope and in certain aspects of the animation, which is dope. Like the lightsabers, like that's cool. So there's just, it's the first thing produced by Disney. So there's all these elements just working at this moment. Plus it's made for kids. So they went that angle also. It's like, all these options and all these like perspectives all played a role in why it looks that way. But in my opinion, like it shouldn't stop you because it's not even really that bad. Like could the hair use work? I personally think so sometimes, but overall, like it's still extremely valid. Like it's not anything award-winning, but it's still valid and you're going to miss out on some great story because of it. Right. And I think they work. I mean, again, season four, you see Kanan's haircut. Season three, you see Ezra has a haircut. Um, they played with certain, I mean, uh, Sabine's hair is always changing color. Um, there's like little things that they do that I'm like, cool, but I just, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. If we're going to talk cinematography or not even, we're going to talk animation and, and all that, I'll save some of my thoughts for that. But I just, I, it was good, bro. Can we theorize that the show may have been more successful had it been animated to look like Clone Wars? Perhaps it would have been, but it's good. Like, the, the two things that I've been told to point out to you are uh, Ketamine Yoda. He looks like a crackhead when he appears in the series. 
but Yoda looked like a crackhead or a ketamine addict back in Empire Strikes Back. So, what could we do? Anakin looks terrible. Anakin looks like a Ken doll, as someone has said to me. So, that's a little rough. But overall, it's good. It's watchable. But listen, dude, if you want to hop into any animation talk that you wanted to hit, please do. I, I really like the combat in this show. Um, you know, one phrase you've used often as we talk through the animation of combat, especially with Clone Wars and Rebels, you often called it floaty. The combat looks floaty and it doesn't feel like the blades hit hard enough. You know, this is why when Ahsoka fights Darth Maul in the Siege of Mandalore, it's a meaningful moment because that fight scene was actually choreographed, mocap and all. So it's like, I can see the difference, feel the difference, but I mean, I, I I don't know if I got used to it or I just didn't mind it. I really like some of the combat in here. And and, and as they get older, as Ezra gets older and as Kanan grows as a Jedi, what they do during fights and the way they think brilliantly like Jedi during the combat, um, it was very like unspoken. Like nobody talks about it. I mean, if you think about it, like no one's like, oh man, that backflip you just hit was crazy, Ezra. But it's like, it makes sense that you would do a backflip and that was really cool to your character's development, you know, even down to the way that that Sabine fights when she gets that jetpack. Nobody acknowledges it until like an episode or two later, you know, and it's like, oh, I want a jetpack. Or now he, uh, Ezra has to have a jetpack for that one mission that they're doing with the, the Mandalorians. I think all that's cool, right? Like, I love that it's unspoken. The animation does a great job at speaking for the show as well and carrying that that um that development, that development. Filoni is really good at that. If you think of, I'm going to keep referring to this, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, we know Angro's hair in the third book, you know, like the, the, the uh, Sokka picks up a new weapon, he gets his sword. Like, they develop it so that it all flows forward and it's really good stuff. I would remember in the first two seasons of the show, Ezra being terrible with his lightsaber skills like he would he would just not do Jedi stuff his lightsaber was built like a blaster he wasn't embracing the Jedi way and he he folded a lot he says it in one of the episodes in the season two finale I've got a lot to work on and the next time we see him after the time jump he's doing flips he's doing crazy stuff so in terms of that like animation letting just the animation talk Come on now. They did their thing. They were telling a story like like you said. So I thought that was cool. It's it's sexy, bro. It's just it's it's every detail of it all is important to you. And we know it. And if you don't catch that background point of the animation, then it just becomes a backdrop, a setting of the main story of these characters that you're watching. And it's like it's just really good stuff. I love the fights. I love the fights for that reason. Um, another thing that I loved was just the still moments. I think that they were very good at cinematic shots. Um, season four is a master class on animation in terms of like just still shots. There's a couple really incredible shots in the fourth in the fourth season. I mean, all the seasons, but the fourth one especially. Lethal is just a beautiful, a beautiful planet. Bro, there are so many crazy shots from from the show, especially that final season. You, you got to tell me what what are you talking about? What shot? Well, you got the ending shot right before the episode, the last episode concludes with Sabine looking over Lothal from the tower. That and that's an iconic shot. I've already gotten it spoiled that Ahsoka did the shot. Like it makes sense. That's a beautiful shot. But um, it's 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 Kanan meditating, 
and the long shot of it zooming up on the rock of him sitting on the on the on the ridge, which is not the only time because then in the last episode, Sabine finds Ezra doing the same thing with the same exact shot. So again, the art is talking to you. That's a beautiful scene, beautiful um um setting. And then the setting of anything that has to do with the forest, bro. I just I I thought it was majestic and beautiful. I felt I felt its specialness as they traveled through the forest. Like, dude, what? So cool. Um, and then the last scene would be Kanan's death. I thought the fire in that scene and him just standing there, force on both arms, one holding the explosion, one pushing his people that he loves away from him. That scene was also just excellent. And then they bring it back from a different angle and Ezra sees him. It's just they cooked it up. They were cooking it up. Bro, but like there's layers to this, right? Because Kanan, you know, he does his two-hand thing where he's sacrificing himself, pushing the fire away with one and pushing his family away with the other. Ezra does that in the final episode. We know that, right? Like he he holds Thrawn back while also holding the door closed. But then if you want to take that to a different level... Bad Batch had Depa Balaba, Kanan's master, also strike the pose for a brief frame. But like poetry, it's rhyming, it's beautiful, it's animation, it's spectacular. But, you know, let's close off on that animation topic. I'm, you know, we're just going to be going to keep moving forward. We're going to talk through all these themes and these characters. And so the first character that I want to know about your feelings of from Phoenix Squadron is... Zeb. Mr. Aurelios. Um, I love Zeb, man. I mean, Zeb is such a staple character, and, and it's unfortunate that we don't get too much development from him on the back end of season three and all of season four. But at the end of the day, I think we got enough from him to be able to understand who he is and the principles that he walks out. And um, I think I always had love and respect for him. It's cool how he was just the rowdy bunkmate of Ezra in season one and even some of season two. But by three and four, he becomes this his peer. They're, they're brothers. They're brothers in arms. There's a lot of respect between the two of them. Um, I love how Zeb's integrity, you know, and, and who he is, how it is really the turning point for Callus. Callus has an interaction with him, a conversation with him when they're trapped in that cave, and it it plants a seed that changes him. And I think that's that's what Zeb shows. He's a steadfast friend, a man of principles. Um, and I loved his character development in the show. I love that he's ride or die for his squad, that he's going to be there. And I also think he's hilarious. I just think he's mad funny. There were some points where him and... Um, him and Chopper beefing with one another had me dying or, you know, he'll say a line like at the, at the last episode, he's like, remember that plan where we decided we were going to lock all the, st- the stormtroopers inside the dome? Well, we locked ourselves with a bunch of stormtroopers in the dome. And I'm like, that's such a Zev line. I love that. It's so well written. Before we move on to another major character from the Phoenix Squadron, I want to talk about Callus. I think Callus was a great character. I think his growth and what he did as fulcrum and um the espionage the the action espionage that i'm sure andor is filled with i know i I need to watch andor next but like i liked how he brought that angle and he brought that next level and it was all very believable it wasn't like he just switched sides because i'm just gonna switch sides it's like you believe a lot of who's fighting to risk their lives because this is one a word to the tyranny of the empire and how terrible they are which is also something I want to talk about tonight, bro. Like 
the Empire is really bad in this one, bro. For a kid show, I think that they're pretty criminal. You know what I mean? And I like that they, they didn't shy away from that. And Kalos is a perfect example of somebody coming from that dark side and walking into the light. Uh, tough. Very tough. Yeah, man. You know, for me, Zeb was always like the funny uncle to me or the funny older brother that was always doing kind of trickery things. But when he counted and when you needed him most, he was there. So I loved Zeb. And then when him and Callus had their episode, I just thought that was great. And having Callus slowly turn into Fulcrum over time, that was great too. Especially when you realize like from the first episode, he looked like a villain that was just going to be around once or twice. But uh, up next, I want to talk about possibly my least favorite of the Phoenix crew. I'm not really sure. It's it's, it's between her or Zeb, and that's because I love the other four, like, a little bit more, but I love them all. Uh, Hera, the mom of the group. Man, Hera, Hera is great. Um, I really feel like her dedication, her dedication to the rebellion is understandable because of how upset she is by what was done to her world and what was done to her people. And I respect her convictions. And I think I love how she was steadfast in those as she be, she provided a base, a rock, a steady, a steady partner to Kanan as he walked along a shaky line throughout the show. Um, and I like that, man. It's just like, that's, that's, I hate to say it, bro, but like the 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 female counterpart of a male protagonist, that is what she brings to the table that makes her iconic is the fact that she did when they make them strong. You know what I mean? Like that Star Wars isn't afraid to make strong women like that. Leia exists, Ahsoka's like that, and and I think Hera's in like a queen in that in that deck of you know in that batch. So all that being said, bro, she's great. And I really loved her for the fourth season Hera because we saw a lot more emotion from her. We knew that Kanan was gonna die once they started kissing on each other. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy gotta be peacing out at some point. But like Hera's um she has to let go. She has to keep letting go. And letting go is Ezra's storyline too. So it's it's she, he's teaching her something. Kanan's teaching her something and she is she is um Man, she just carries a lot of the heart of the family. Man, she is a a direct uh, a direct representation of what every character experiences within the Phoenix Squadron. Yeah, look, I love and respect Hera and everything that she does. I just all of the other characters have so much more that speak out to me that I'm like, Hera's on the bottom. But if Hera weren't on your bottom, I would understand. If she were in your middle or your top, I get it. All of these characters are believable to get to that level, in my opinion. So up next, I just want to talk about our colorful Mandalorian, Sabine. Yeah, that's what I actually have written down here in like my my show notes. It's like, I definitely think that Sabine is a brilliant and creative Mandalorian. And I love the the stiffness, the stoicism of the Mandalorians that she comes from the family of her being a direct outcast, therefore contrast to them. She still has their principles. She's still very loyal, but her story makes sense that she would be the exact opposite of what they are to the point where, again, the art speaks for itself. Uh, 
I see you've cha- I see you've changed your, your 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 hair again. The brother when he sees her, or oh, what have you done to your armor? You know, and, and and then you see also her dad's an artist, and that's actually where she gets it from. And then it makes sense that she took it as hard as she did, the opposite direction, in spite of her family and all that stuff. It's just who she is, and I like that they they told that story very well. Season three has a lot of great pieces with her family, and I very much enjoyed it. Um, but I also love the relationships that she has with the other people in Phoenix Squadron. She's probably my favorite in terms of the relationship she has with the other characters. I love how she connects with Ezra. You know, he's crushing on her. Oh, that's oh, she's so pretty. Ah, ah, ah. But then, like, what is that? We don't know because then the last scene of, that, of this show, you're like, what's that? What was that touch on her face? What was that? Well, look, uh, I know that a lot of Rebel fans would disagree with you about what that touch and what their relationship meant. And I'm just going to say, it. I always got the vibe, you know, you know, once Ezra got over his crush of Sabine, I got the vibe that they are a sibling relationship. They are two kids who, who grew up close with one another under a family roof that would always have each other's back in a sibling way, you know? So I, I that's what I got from that, you know? Um, but hey, you never know, right? You never know. I hope not. But if they do it right, you know, sure, whatever. But um, up next, I want to talk about the GOAT, Chopper, my favorite droid in all of Star Wars. I've always seen droids as pets, like a pet character in the family unit. And in this show, you think that's what Chopper is, but Chopper also develops before your eyes. He's a peer. He's a he's a bro, he's a brother in arms. <laughs> like Chopper is an actual character, and um, I know he was voiced by Filoni, and we had that conversation way way earlier, right? I mean, yeah, it just it, when he voiced the droid in Siege of Mandalore, I said, "Oh, well, this is him," and he did this also on Rebels. So yeah, we we did have this conversation earlier. Yeah, and I just think that makes sense, right? Like, and 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 they, I, I, I want to make a call back to our Guardians of the Galaxy episode, where we talk about Groot, and we talk about how at the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy three, volume three, um, we we hear Groot say, "I love you guys," and it's been said by James Gunn that that means that because we've grown with this family, we can understand what Groot's saying too. And I think that they did that same kind of a concept with Chopper. If you watch season one and two, a lot of the like that stuff you don't understand. But as you get to season three, he'll say stuff like, and you're like, Stormtroopers. Oh, snap. I get it. I know what he's saying. Um, and I like that, you know. So it's a funny point when uh, when Zeb's like, you understand what he's saying? And it's like, yeah, so so do we, Ezra. We're starting to understand what he's saying too. Really smart move on their part. Love that development for Chopper. Love how he fights. He throws hands. He shocks dudes. He takes dudes out. Honestly, a lot of these missions aren't even possible without him. So he's really like star player MVP on the squad, like on the squadron. Chopper got to be one of the biggest menaces in all of Star Wars, my guy. Like you give him a blaster. He's killing dudes. You give him nothing. He's flying around, spinning his arms around, slapping dudes up in the head, probably still killing dudes. He's dangerous. He tried to kill Ezra a few times, in fact. That's a point of this, uh, of this too, like kills. There's, there's really like no, like there's some noticeable kills, but there's no like real brutal kills because this is a Y7 
Disney XD show. So I can understand that. But like the fact that you can understand the death of a lot of these characters with how they filmed it is also a skill in itself. Like to be able to get the gravity of a heavy scene and it still be Y7. Good moves, bro. Good moves by them. Look, just just to end off the chopper talk, because I could really talk about him forever. Like I love the dude. Um, I love that we can understand him. It's always fun to try and understand what he's saying and write it down and say, yep, that's the one. Uh, he's a goat. He's a goat. I'll take him over any other droid in Star Wars. But up next, I want to talk about the main character of the show for most people, right? I mean, obviously, he's the main character of the show, Ezra Bridger. Now, I thought that him and our final character that we need to speak about would be one of the two, both of them, whatever, would be one of your favorites. Uh, because I know the way that you think and the way that you like characters. And so I really thought that Ezra's pull to the dark side was going to get you on his boat, you know? So what did you think of Ezra? Like, how do you feel about him? All right. So I think playing Survivor and watching Siege of Mandalore, because I watched Ahsoka navigate those spaces and have her interaction with Maul and Maul try to persuade her that he's right and him sound right because he's just so up in that, John, so wise, but in a twisted way. It almost took away from the luster of Ezra's journey for me when it came to that because I, I saw it done already with Maul, you know, because he's such a consistently incredible character that he kind of just like storylines he sucks up the the space and the focus of a storyline with who he is so when ezra meets him in the pit of malachor it's like oh it's maul okay cool you know so but if i think about the timeline that 2018 is when this came out and then i think it would be way different but i connected way more with kanan in light of that right but let's jump into ezra let's jump into ezra so like for me ezra is still an incredible incredible jedi and it's because he's a product of incredible people around him. And I think that that's a very cool way to do a Jedi story because I don't know a lot of Jedi stories like that. I would say that's a very unique story that he is basically an amalgamation of all the people. And so it's like you go from this orphan to this amalgamation of all these people that love him. He goes from being alone, having to fend and survive by himself to learning to thrive because of the people he's surrounded by. Incredible storyline, so much redemption in him. Therefore, his journey, whether it's bad in that couple seasons, end of season two, beginning of season three, like, oh, he's playing around with the, the, the Sith holocron. Oh, is he about to get dark on him? Oh, he's got darkness in him. They're saying that he has some evil and some fear in him, X, Y, and Z. A lot of the work that Ezra does, not to discredit him as a character, but he does it because he sees people around him do it first. And that's crazy. That's a crazy concept, bro. So it's like when he makes his stand at the end, I have a lot to say about that theme, the theme of letting go. That theme is incre incredible. But we could talk Kanan and we could jump into that in depth. Well, when it comes to Ezra for me, I just loved uh, the way he grew over time. You know, he was always unique. He always kind of bended the rules to always fit him even when he was doing it properly, he tried to walk his own path. He struggled with the dark side. He came out on top of it, even with the tendencies. You know, he walked his journey. He 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 did it. He did it. And he didn't ever really lose sight of who Ezra Bridger was. He just grew as a as a character. So I love Ezra. I really do. But hey, let's get to the star of the show, man. I like Kanan Jarrus. 
I know he was your favorite character. You've told me he was your favorite character, even though we don't talk in details as much when we're, you know, scheduled to have an episode on something. I knew that he was your favorite character, bro. So talk about the star of the show for you. He really was. And I'm glad that he wasn't there at the end because I think he would have, he would have, again, stolen my focus from Ezra because I love Kanan, bro. But like, I felt really attached to Kanan emotionally because of my own story and things I've had to navigate from what I was taught when I was young to the fear that I have inside myself that I have to conquer on a daily basis to be able to walk out what's next in my journey, what, 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 what's to come in order to be able to accept it. And I think like that is what he is an example of as a character. He's just wounded questioning himself and his ability to lead in light of this fear and this lie he's believed since he lost his master at order 66 and then it's like he's got a kid around him that is watching his every move and his ability to push past his own fear is what sets ezra off on a crazy trajectory but it's also what like legendizes him that i just made a word i think legendizes him in star wars for me like he's up there top five jedi for sure for me bro like no doubts about it no doubts about it bro caleb doom till i die type you know what i mean come on willie bro on this rewatch that i just did kanan jarrus is in my top five characters like I love the guy. He was top 10 before the rewatch, you know, before when all I had of Rebels was my original watching experience of it. But now, after watching this all again for Ahsoka, top five. I love Kanan more than ever. And it's because of my own experiences also. I just loved his journey from, from point A to point B, bro. And it's it's more than just his own journey. His journey is a whole thing. It's a whole thing, bro. And and I, I, it inspired me to write a song. I wrote a whole song. Keep an eye out for the rebellion coming out very soon. Stay tapped into the link tree. You know what I mean? Humble plug. Very incredible journey. But it's also that point that we made on Hera where she's the mom. He's definitely the dad. The dad. And his relationships with Zeb and when he teaches Zeb, his patience with Chopper and his him being amused by Chopper and, and Chopper's antics, but also the type to yell at Chopper and be like, are you serious? Love that. But then he's the dad that Ezra has lost and he's basically the dad that Sabine is estranged from. He fills that gap that's left for her um, from her family not accepting her. He accepts her and then he leads her. In that season three scene where she's learning to wield the Darksaber, Man, we all knew the Darksaber wasn't going to stay with Sabine. Like, duh. Like, we know that this thing has its own storyline, right? But it's like to see her wield it and that be the stage in which we see her character evolve. What? They cook that up. And Kanan, he, when he's able to let go of himself more, he's able to help his other kid too. And it's like, that's tough. They cooked it up, baby. They definitely cooked it up. Now, there are so many other characters to talk about when it comes to this show, but uh, I just want to know, like, for this last bit of this section, how do you feel about the way they treated some of the legacy Clone War characters like Rex, Ahsoka, Maul? Rex was incredible. Um, I knew it was them when, when Ahsoka was sending them on that mission. Loved what he did in triggering Kanan. Woo, crazy storyline. Yeah, man. After the introduction of, of Rex into Rebels, like you could tell he's still the same dude from the Clone Wars. And I and I love that. 
the same way he was killing it in Clone Wars, like same way we're able to say from season one to season four, we saw all this growth in Ezra. Bro, you take all the seasons of Clone Wars and then you back it up with Rebels and you see this insane trajectory for Rex's character. And it's filled with consistency and it's filled with loyalty and strength and, and, and again, undying loyalty to the Jedi, undying loyalty to Ahsoka, undying loyalty to even Anakin, you know what I mean? And uh, I love the emotional story we get to see with the last battle where they fight the drones that are from the Clone Wars and we see him get triggered and enter into that Vietnam space in his mind and 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 Kanan's uh, patience with him and how he has to teach Ezra, this is this is important to him. It's the last battle of a war that he was made for. Like, oh, they cooked it up. I'm sorry, I'm gonna keep saying it, bro. They were going crazy. Ahsoka, come on. Like, I can't wait to watch her because, again, I just love. Uh, uh, there's a scene in this show where they say, Oh, she's a Jedi. And she goes, I'm not a Jedi. <laughs> and that's it. It's, it's just that. Yeah, no. Ahsoka's a different breed in this show. She's nasty. Dirty work. She walks, she got the she got the white blades. Her 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 sabers are bent. What's that? We never seen that before. That's not a part of the order. That's that's different. Crazy baby. That fight scene with her and the two inquisitors um on the streets outside the the hangar. Wowzers, bro. She was cooking them. So since you bring up Ahsoka's white blades, I just want to point out that I'm pretty sure Dave Filoni had originally done it. Because he wanted to showcase that she's neutral. She's not on either side of Jedi or Sith. However, the in-universe reason that has been created because of this is that um, Ahsoka killed an Inquisitor who, you know, when you when you take a blue or green or purple or whatever color kyber crystal and you bleed it, you put all your anger and hate into it, it, it turns red. That's how the Sith sabers are created. We've seen it in Jedi Survivor recently. Um... Ahsoka killed an Inquisitor and unbled them. She healed them and they don't go back to their original color. They are now white, which is, which is fucking dope to me. Insane and insane. And that's who she is. Her weapon is. And that's the thing about the, the, the story of Star Wars, independent of how they have to film it and pace it and write it and all that. It's like, bro. The lore is there and it's so great that you can take it and make it look like so many different mediums, takes, concepts, archetypes. What, bro? Taking and healing bled kyber crystals is insane lore, bro. That's insane lore. And it speaks so much to who she is. Just like Ezra's blaster saber spoke to who he was in season two is is just, it's beautiful. And then last but not least, I mentioned them earlier, but... Maul's incredible and the soul tie that he has to Ezra and this journey of him calling him apprentice throughout the whole time. It's so funny because Maul's so cerebral and so deeply like lost, but also found within the forces knowledge of trying to find the balance between both Sith and Jedi, a man hungry for knowledge on some Odin type from the God of War 2018, no, on some Odin type from the God of War 2022 game is like, him calling him apprentice, I always thought it was like a, a, a desire thing. Like, come on, be my apprentice. But it's so much more than that. If you if you look at the the you know the over six thousand foot view down or the macro view down, technically he did teach so much to Ezra that he was one of the potential. I guess you could say masters that Ezra learned from in a very pivotal point in his journey as a Jedi. So it's like there are answers that Maul gave him that 
Kanan could not give him. And I liked that Maul played that role so well here. And then to know that, you know, Siege of Mandalore and the connection and why he says, you know, last time I saw, you know, I love that stuff, bro. They, they the, the rhyming is great, but Maul is just, again, man, we've said this before. He's one of the best, one of the best villains. He's honestly, bro, I like him more than like Emperor. Like I know he's important, but like Maul as a villain, pff, crazy dog. Yeah, I, I love Darth Maul a lot. He he has become also a top ten character for me, uh, from from nothing which a Phantom Menace gave us to everything that we have now. But you know, as we move into themes, I want to start with the idea that Clone Wars and Rebels are different in their themes that they wish to showcase us. Uh, where Clone Wars shows us, you know, the Jedi at the height of their power, as they like to say, what they're really doing is showing us the deconstruction of the Jedi Order, as I've heard somewhere. Um, as I've done, like, tons of research on both of these shows, trying to figure out which one I like more. Like, Clone Wars, they wanted to show us how these people fell and all of their problems, where Rebels was more about reconstructing the Jedi, the Jedi kids that were failed by the order, hunted down 4066, how they got back up. Ahsoka, Kanan, Ezra now being led by Kanan. Like, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of family members who go through life struggling under the wishes and wants of their family and feeling stuck and then being let loose out into the world to find their own identity and forming something for themselves and their future family. Like, that's what I got from Rebels. And so where we see the Clone Wars and the Clone Wars Jedi and the prequel Jedi teach about attachment and how to, to be not, not be scared of it, but like abandon it. Like, you don't want to be attached because that leads down a dark path. Rebels showcases that the attachments that... Ezra has and Kanan telling him that it's okay to have them is a good thing because it wins them the fight at the end of the day. And I love it. Like Ezra is able to win because of this new Jedi order teaching that Kanan has, bro. And I think what's beautiful about that, and this is why I connect with it, is because it means that they've accepted that they're human. And that the beauty of the force is in all living things, including the relationships those living things have. And we see so much of that, right? Like even that moment when Ezra goes into the temple at the end of season four and he's able to play a role in saving Ahsoka who then saves him with her wisdom. But knowing that he was sent there by Kanan, aka Doom, and the forces behind all of it is is just, it's a cool, it's a cool concept because Again, man, you can really look at it and say that the force is pulling the strings. And, and I love that line that Ahsoka has in season two where she says, the more you think you know about the force, the, the, the more you realize you know nothing about it. And I think that line is very much true. There's still so many pieces, frills, and, and parts of the force you don't understand. But what D Dave Filoni and the team did well was they gave us tangible pieces that make a lot of sense in helping us understanding why, understand why the Jedi and the Rebellion was so strong and strong enough to, to again, overcome an extremely oppressive empire, which they painted very well as well. Um, and that's a theme I want to talk about tonight. Like, I want to talk about Thrawn. I want to talk about, um, 
the I told you that you need to watch Death Note, the anime Death Note, because of the 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 back and forth between Light and L. And I think that that's what this show has too. It's this brilliance, this chess game, this very smart TV level of like strategy of war. And we know that that um Admiral Strawn is a lover of the art of war. He's very theatrical with everything he does, and and he sees it all as something sacred, like a dance, the the battle that the Empire is having with the Phoenix Squad and the Rebel Alliance. And so, I just I I I loved Thrawn, and I loved his depiction of the Empire, him being somebody who is obsessed with the concept of power, of authority. All that matters, boy, is power. Oh, you think because you take all these things that they belong to you, says Ezra. And, 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 and Thrawn says, it's not about where they come from or who they once belonged to. It's about who has power. And that line is just boom. That's it. That's the empire embodied in a character. Excellently done. Thrawn's amazing. I hope he comes back in Ahsoka. I'm hearing whispers. So it makes sense with the way that this uh, show ended the evil versus the light in this show is just really well done through and through and everything between. Admiral Thrawn is a genius on this show, bro. Like, they have the episode where we're following from his perspective as Ezra's been brought on board and they're trying to convince Thrawn and Admiral Yularen who um, the spy is and that it's not him, uh, Callus. And then, you know, we get to the point in the episode where we think he's done the work, he's done a good job, he's put doubt on one person, said it's another, and then by the end of the episode, Thrawn is like, thank you, Callus. I'm glad we caught the spy. And as soon as he walks out the door, he's like, it's Callus. Like, he didn't tell us Ezra Bridger was on board when he should have. He knows. He's been instructed to do it. It's, it's genius. Thrawn is magnificent. Yeah, I, and I think this goes back to Ezra, right? Like, I also think... Thrawn was the the best villain to bring out as Ezra's bad guy because I never felt like he was he was Kanan's bad guy, you know, which is why when Kanan dies, Thrawn's not even on the planet. You know, like I think that makes sense. Him being the antagonist and the one really um pairing, blocking, and kind of like growing and developing in contrast to Ezra, um, is just another place Ezra learns. And I think that that's something to, to look at too. That's why Thrawn's so good. Thrawn is almost his own force by, by, by being obsessed with the brilliance of a strategy and understanding his enemy. He almost thinks he can exert his own force and create ideas and no ideas of what's going to happen before it happens. And then Ezra has to rely on the force to be able to outwit and outthink him by the end of season four. And I think that's really cool because it's a chess game, but the things that they're using to play the game are two very different things. One is filled with pride and power on Thrawn's side, and the other is filled with humility and letting go on the side of Ezra. So they just really wrote that beautifully. Thrawn was great, and I liked him a lot, and I love that end scene, that end monologue from him, especially because he basically says that. He basically talks about how he is obsessed with everything that has to do with the Jedis and everything obsessed with the power that they had, and he's just an an over-obsessed geek. He's he's a geek off the war. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I love Admiral Thrawn, dude. I hope that we get to see him one day full force like Cersei Lannister in the head. I am the go at this kind of thing kind of vibe because I'm, I'm here for it. There's another, there's another theme that I also want to jump into and it's this concept of letting go. Now, you mentioned earlier that Kanan dies the same way his master dies 
and Ezra has his moment where he has both hands out, just like his master and his master before him, standing in this kind of crossroads moment of defining who he is as a Jedi um, when he sacrifices himself. And again, we don't know if he's alive, what's going on. If Thrawn's coming back, then Ezra's got to be out there. We know Sabine got a mission that she's being counted on for. And um, But there's a, there's, a, there's a moment that really hit me as I was watching the finale when the Emperor in his disguise offers Ezra the opportunity to see his parents. And, and Ezra's parents being kind of, you know, he sends a message to them, a recording to them. Uh, right in the beginning of the episode, it calls us back to how meaningful this journey has been for him since season one, right? He's so upset about his parents in season two when he finds out that they died in the prison uh, and that the prison had a had a rebellious uproar because of something he initiated with his own voice when they put the message through the the, the, the big tower. Like he's he's got survivor's guilt and he misses his parents and the emperor plays into that because that's exactly what he did with Anakin Skywalker, bro. He, he, the, the Sith and the dark side knows how to exploit your deepest, darkest fears, angers, frustrations, the, the muck of life. And, and, and here's emperor doing this to him. And he, it's, it's the moment where he says, I love you guys forever. You'll always be with me, but I have to let you go. The let you go called back. And I realized that this is Kanan's final lesson for Ezra. The benefits of succeeding at this lesson actualized because his ability to let go of Kanan is what allows him to beat this final test against Emperor. And I think they did that really well, bro. Like, don't get me wrong. We know his attachment to his parents will always be there. He says in that line, I'll, you'll always be a part of me. But some would argue that it's harder for him to have let go of Canaan than it would be to let go of his parents. Because all of what he's taken and even the journey of grieving his parents, Canaan has stood beside him through. So it's like he's got this muscle strong when it's time to use it to push against his deepest desires in the face of the emperor, he doesn't fail because Kanan's in short of it. And I think the force is in short of it. And I just, I, I come on, bro. What, who writes this? How do you even write it? I don't know, bro. But I sat in that moment and I teared up. I tear, I got emotional and I was like, yo, this kid is a product of everyone that's come before him. And he's, he's just been an, an excellent Padawan. He's been an excellent student. I would actually argue he's commander by the end, but he, this is when he, I think this is when he evolves. Everything we see from Ezra Bridger going forward, he's locked in, bro. He's, he's legendary too, in my opinion. This young kid spanking the empires behind, my guy, on the dizzy, bro. They're following him. Yeah, would it be? This sounds like an Ezra Bridger plan. Rex looking at him. Okay, Commander. What? What? He's got this authority to him because he's willing to let go and surrender. Kanan is the one that shows that first. You are unwilling. The Bendu said to Kanan. And he said, then teach me. I will be willing. And Ezra benefits from his master's willing to take that next leg of the journey because he's able to do it himself later on in season four special stuff dude it's like spiritually special stuff dog it's that star wars it's that star wars for real i'm happy that you brought up palpatine right now because he exploited anakin skywalker using his love for padme right like 
He did that. He used something that Anakin held near and dear to his heart against him. And he tries to do the same thing with Ezra right here with his with his family moment, right? You can have your family again, you know, just just do this for me. And Ezra, right? Because Ezra's stronger than that. And he like, instead of indulging in this, he accepts that he has a new family now. And Palpatine thinking that family is Ezra's weakness turns out to be his greatest strength. And it's what makes Ezra win the day at the end, bro. It's like I said earlier, it's great shit. He just had to let go of his old family and accept the new. Yeah, and I think, you know, that same that same line ties back to Hera. Hera has to let go of Ezra because of you know, she's clenching onto him tight because she just lost um, Kanan, you know, and then Sabine, the same thing. Like uh, Kanan taught the people around him to to care for the ones that are important to them and to fight for them till the last opportunity, to never deny an opportunity to fight for those people that you love and the people you believe in. Sabine got to experience that and see healing with her family, you know, and, and yet she's right back with the gang for season four, which I thought was also very, very tough. Um, but it's like, even her, she has that same, I had to surrender. And at the end, she's the one that helps Ezra to pull off that last piece of his plan to, to surrender himself because she's gotten good at letting go. They've all gotten good at letting go and recognizing that that's a very important thing for them to have as an asset in their arsenal against the empire and the asset of hope. Uh, it's just, it's, if that's not as rebellion as it gets, if that's not as Star Wars as it gets, this is why I'm telling people you need to watch this show. Like, I think it embodies so much of what Star Wars means. What's special about Star Wars is in all four, of all four seasons of this show. Listen, while we're on the concept of letting go, bro, we can't just skip around one of the biggest moments of the show. Like the sacrifice that Kanan Jarrus gives for his family to survive, bro. And so my question for you is like a big moment is Kanan's eyesight returning as he pushes Hera away. How do you feel about that moment? He could see her? Yeah, as he, as he pushes her away, his eyes go from white to blue. His, his eyesight came back. Oh, oh my God, bro. Yo, he's goaded, bro. Yeah, bro, he is goaded, dude. The, before the Battle of Malachor, um, he tells Hera, I'm going to see you again. And then he comes back blind. And then he goes through all his struggles, his entire like rethinking of what is the Force, what does it mean to be a Jedi, all of that. He goes through that journey. And then when he makes the ultimate sacrifice that a Jedi could make, the Force grants him one final gift so that he can see his family and his love one last time and it's beautiful dog they even have the shot where you see it from his vision she flies she flies back like this from him she flies back from him like you're seeing it out of his eyes and i didn't realize that shot i just thought it was a cool shot now i know it's because they're showing us that he he sees her he sees this moment that's incredible man and and i i think again the mystery of the force and the and the character of the force in this in this show that's one of those moments too where it's just like it's, uh, it's Kanan became what a jedi should be you know selfless and in that final act he was given a reward for his selflessness um 
He's the GOAT. The whole the whole Jedi Knight episode was so special, right? Because we've got this undercover, how do we get on to how do we get her back? And then he's like dating her while they're on this mission, you know? He oh, I got you a gift and he's being all sweet to her and it's like we don't see a lot of this sweetness outside of small moments all throughout the show, but they just put it all front and center and put it on display and um their relationship is something so meaningful. And I think if you didn't know, then you definitely know. <laughs> like, and, you, and this is why I knew this, that his, his end was coming, right? The Jedi Knight, I mean, come on. But I love that that was accented. And then he has this moment where he accepts his doom, pun intended. Even when he loses his lightsaber mid-fight, you could tell there's a finality to this moment. And for me, it's like, what is a Jedi without their lightsaber? You 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 go get your lightsaber, you're bugging out, right? But then it reminded me of the fact that in the beginning of the episode, we heard him as he's sitting on that side meditating on the on the on the um, rock side, and he and the wolf is in the in the distance. We hear all these lines from the beginning of the episode that you're like, what is he hearing? He's hearing something in the force. But then by the end of the episode, you realize every line that he heard in that beginning, you've heard throughout the episode, which means he very much knew where he would be ending up. And that just, again, bro, we could get into a crazy spot. We can get into the concept of Jesus Christ. and how He knew he was going to die on a cross and how he saw it come and still took the journey anyways. Like we could get real spiritual with it because I mean, bro, like we said in the Star Wars episode, there's this biblical nature. The allegories are out the wazoo when it comes to the concept of the force, right? And so like, that that hit me and tripped me up and then it makes the grandiosity of his ending even more meaningful because he's been accepting it since the the moment that the mission was enacted bro since it started he had already been accepting he was like i i'ma die let me cut my hair let me accept what this is let me surrender let me take all of the training to let go by me being blinded and you get that muscle strong so when it's time for me to really let go and surrender i can do it so as we're doing it again bro it makes sense it's an it's a shadow an echo of what kane was willing to do at that crossroad moment of his life and um you didn't prepare me for this. Woo! When I heard that line and I realized it was in the beginning, I'm like, yo, he didn't prepare you for his own death. That is excellent writing. I, I believe that Kanan has the best death in Star Wars. And I love what his death did for the other characters. Watching them go through their grief kind of helped me. Especially when Ezra has to go through his journey of finding out what his purpose is. And by the end of that episode and that arc, he has his moment where he's able to look at the wolf and say goodbye, Kanan. Like, that was, it was, it was beautiful. That's the only way I can describe it. But I want to go into another topic that might be widely controversial. Some people like it. Some people hate it. Um, the world between worlds. What did you think about this concept and the episode I think that they they knew that if they were going to be able to do this and it get executed without one, eclipsing all of what's important for these characters and two, breaking it. Like we know multiverse has broken universes legitimately. Like multiverse has broken, of it broke Endgame. Like let's get realistic. Like there's a lot of confusion about Endgame's time travel. You know what I mean? Like does it make sense? How does it work? Even Spider-Man, right? Like we so so many multiverse storylines. It's like, what's what is this? 
they knew that ambiguity would be their best friend in this. And I think that they use the ambiguity of the force, this idea of you really don't know what you're seeing, but there is a slight amount of like body, a slight amount of finality to what's happening. You can, you can grasp what you need to. You can take what you need to from this. And I think they did that very tastefully. It was confusing father, son, daughter, the gods and all that. And then, you know, Palpatine somehow having access to that and knowing about it, like, there's questions. I've got questions, but I trust them because they didn't give me enough for me to be like, I need this question to be able to stomach what's to come. None of that. None of that. I'm here for the journey, baby. I'm here for the journey. I don't got to see it. I got to let go. I'm going to let go and surrender. I'm with it. Like I said, dude, the, the episode is controversial, but it brought back Ahsoka, someone that we hadn't seen since season two. And it answers the question, well, does she live? Does she die? She lives. And not only does she live, she always lives. It's a fixed timeline. There was no question about it. Even though, again, some people say that she died. Not even, bro. At the end of season two, it shows it shows Vader walk out from the wreckage. And then it shows Ahsoka come out from the wreckage as well and climb up. So it's like they left a hole in season two that allowed them to channel back to that. It makes sense that she would say Ezra Bredger, like, may the force be with you as a bridger like and then boom we see her climb out like you think it's just to climb out and that's it like they clashed and their clash didn't do anything and then they just separated paths but now it's like so much more meaningful than that i just like the way the world between worlds is used i like that you hear voices from the past like prequel characters in the future like sequel characters like ray and kylo i just i just like i like it i think it was done right um i like that ahsoka tells ezra like Kanan's will is still being done because of this. And I think it's what Ezra really needed to be able to move on. He says, like, Dune brought me here for a reason. But that's what I'm trying to say, bro. It's like that let go moment of him in that portal is what he was the training. That's why Doom sent him there, not just to destroy the temple, but for his own personal journey. He had to experience that let go moment to grieve, to grieve and move forward and actually surrender but then also when he sees his parents in the, in the next couple episodes. But yeah, and you also reminded me, Ahsoka has a major development point there too because she says the same way that you can't save your master is the same way I can't save mine. And there's a guilt she has that then Ezra being there helps her unlock. So dope. The force is really going crazy right now, bro. And I love it. I, I just keep it, keep the mystery there. Um, before we conclude, let's talk about specific pocket arcs and episodes, bro. Starting with Twilight of the Apprentice or even just the character of Darth Vader as a whole, dude. Like, this might be controversial, but I think that Darth Vader has been handled the best under Disney when it comes to showing his terrifying presence. From Rogue One to the Jedi Survivor and Jedi Fallen Order games to rebels like he's a force to be reckoned with so how did you feel about vader in this show and like the twilight of the apprentice and stuff it was amazing man it was amazing because we've been talking about in star wars and our last two episodes on star wars i i mean bro people don't like vader losing people don't like vader taking an l because he's supposed to be this the chosen one the supreme being like he's supposed to be that guy but it's like, again, man, they dare to humanize him in these newer depictions. And I think that's why Disney's winning. It's like, you, you, you know he's this menace, right? You know he's crazy with it. But it's like, every time that you show another piece of him that's a little more human, it makes him even scarier. 
it makes him even scarier because you see what he's become and how far removed he is from what he was when he was in Clone Wars. And Ahsoka seeing that, man, I, I felt it with her. It's like she so badly wants to believe that he's in there and he's not in there no more, man. He's gone. That boy is big gone. Or at least we think he's big gone. Because then when you think about that too, it's like, are these seeds planted? Are these things that grow and blossom so that when we see Luke and we see Darth Vader come together at the end with against the Emperor, like, is that a moment that happened because there were knocks of people who still had hope for him and hope for Anakin on the inside? It's like you, you're left with these pieces to play with and that's what Star Wars is great about it. You can experience different pieces of it how you want to, but there's so much subjective force-based material that you can almost see anything. <laughs> it's crazy. Something that I want to know is whether or not you feel like the moment where his mask gets sliced had less of an impact with you because you had already seen Obi-Wan Kenobi, similar to the Maul stuff and the Siege of Mandalore. Yeah, it's similar to what happened with, with Ezra and the Darth Maul storyline that I mentioned earlier. But at the same time, it's still meaningful because the people who are able to do that to him are the ones that have known him deeply. You know, Obi-Wan, that was his Padawan, right? And then Ahsoka is his Padawan. So it's like people who knew him de deeply, if we're looking at the storyline between Kanan's master and Ezra, and we're seeing all these ties, and it's like, of course, they would put that on, 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 on the Star Wars lore, you know, wall. It's like, the people who were able to break him and see him, his human underneath that mask that everyone in the galaxy is afraid of, it's the people who once have known him so deeply. They know that deep down, that was their friend, that was their leader, that was their their guy, you know? So really cool, humanizing makes Darth Vader cooler and a bigger badass. And I will always stand in that camp. I'm never abandoning that, that view. All right, well, you know what? Up next, I wanna talk about the Twin Sons episode. Okay, so first and foremost, uh, Lothal, ha Lothal has twin sons deep in the distance and um, on, that, on that southern hemisphere that they're in in season four. So I saw that while uh, this is after Kanan's died and Ezra's there meditating in the same spot Kanan was in and Sabine's coming to get him. They have a shot where you see the two sons. And I, I call it call back to season two and three, well, really three, when the twin sons puts him in a position to see Obi-Wan that because he thought he understood the force, it put him in a position he wasn't even supposed to be in because Maul was trying to manipulate him. That was beautiful, bro. Like he, he was, it was going to end with on the planet that had two sons. It still was true. It's just the truth looked different for Maul and it looked different for Ezra. So boom, that backdrop is crazy. Then I see Obi-Wan and it was just, again, man, Clone Wars fans, I know they ate this the fudge up for the original. I mean, the prequels, I know they ate this the fudge up if you're a fan of that. I, for me, what cooked was when you broke down the way he fought him in the swift movement. So you got to do that for the people because this is what Star Wars is all about, baby. Look, I'm just going to say it similarly to how Sam Witwer said it, right? So he says, Maul and Obi-Wan spark up their lightsabers and... Obi-Wan, you know, reflexing, fight, fighting Maul. In, in a reflex, he does the Ewan McGregor pose. Two fingers out. He's like, this is, this is the General Kenobi. But wait a minute. I'm not that young dude anymore. I'm, I'm Alec Guinness now. I'm the old man. So he hits that pose and Maul's like, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And then with Obi-Wan realizing that 
he was transformed into a young dude for just a moment while looking at Maul. He was like, wait a minute. What if I can do that to him? What if I can make him react like his younger self? And he hits the Qui-Gon Jinn pose. And then Maul takes the bait. And he he changes his stance to, to beat Qui-Gon because he had beaten Qui-Gon before. It's a game of chess, right? And so when Maul jumps at him to kill him the way he killed Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, been thinking about this moment forever, slices him right down the middle. He beats Maul in a game of, of chess. He beats him with his mind. The winner of that fight was determined before either of them showed up. And, you know, the force really does determine the winner of the battle. But Obi-Wan is just a genius, bro. It's it's great animation storytelling because that entire scene is told via animation and movement rather than dialogue. I know Sam Witwer pitched a bunch of interesting stuff. And Dave Filoni said, Sam, you'll you'll love it when you see it. And he does, bro, because it's beautiful and it's special. And it's my favorite Star Wars fight of yeah, all time. It was special. It was special because I knew that. And so you see it and everything around that moment, I appreciated because I knew that I had, I, the fight was going to be already locked in. I knew what the fight was going to be because you had even shown me that clip previously. So I had seen that. Then seeing it amidst the growth of, of, of Maul throughout this season and then Ezra, they just cooked, bro. They cooked and... um. Ezra stepping out of line, stepping out of pace, having to go on that adventure with Chopper and get lost in the sauce was also very important for him to learn about, for real, bro, you think you understand the force, but you really don't. You really don't. You, 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 and then it's the end of that apprentice line between him and him and um, Darth Maul too. So when he gets off it, off the ship and gets back to the base and he says that Maul's done and that we won't be seeing any more Maul. Again, like you've said, knowing that Obi-Wan took care of it. That's one thing. But the other thing is like, this is the end of my tie to this dude. Like my tie is really broken for real. Um, and it was just, again, I, I, I enjoyed the way they joined those two storylines together. Obi-Wan being a kind of the linchpin was really cool. You messaged me after you saw the episode and you said, I think that moment made me appreciate the Obi-Wan Kenobi show more. Uh, why is that? Because this is the conclusion of that show this is that moment where you know he's gotten beyond his grief and he's accepted all of his grief which we see him wrestle with in obi-wan it just again it, it humanizes obi's journey and it gives us light on how he got there and then of course the parallels with protecting the kid in the desert and and all that was also very sexy very sexy but yo for it to conclude with him out there um and doing that it's just and then we know obi-wan help me obi-wan like it all makes sense listen bro any any love for the obi-wan kenobi show i'll take because i i think it's overly hated but um earlier you said something about avatar the last airbender and dave filoni and all that so go into that as we close out we know filoni wrote this show as well as avatar the last airbender and bro i i see this kind of like uh the prestige to inception from Christopher Nolan. I see this as I can understand and I can often have my feet in the camp of thinking that Rebels is better than Avatar The Last Airbender in terms of taking a lot of what's special about that show and really like 
I think just already it being such a strong muscle for Filoni that when he knocks this out the park in 2018, all the way up to 2018, I, it's just, we wouldn't have, bro, the force, the bendu, I'm getting a lot of sea turtles, the turtles with the, the lion turtles with the, with the bending abilities, the individual episodes each season where a character goes on a journey that helps them grow. And those characters who are recurring come back in each of the seasons. That's very Avatar book one, two, and three. You know what I mean? You see Iroh in book one. And then by end of, se- of book three, you see how much more of a significant character he is. You can say the same thing, you know, for each of the characters from Callus um to to um what's his name to hondo facts hondo's the go bro like they just they did a good job and i seen this before and i think on the human side of things in the growth and development side of things it's very real bro it's very real you know his season one work man on avatar is what got him this job they called him up and they were like are you dave filoni who's working on the last airbender we want to hire you, come in for an interview. And he did it and George picked him and he made him his apprentice. So I would love to be Dave Filoni's apprentice. So um, Dave Filoni is special. Now, you did this journey to catch up for Ahsoka. So I want to know, what are you looking forward to now that you've completed Rebels to see in Ahsoka? What are you hoping to see? I mean, I'm going to take whatever I can get. I know Sabine's in it. I know Hera's in it. I, w- I know Lothal is in there. I want to see if we have more characters come up. Like, I want to see the governor. It would be cool to see the governor in there. Um, you know, just, again, it, whatever I can get. But the big thing for me is Sabine's mission and and the fact that Ahsoka appears to her at the end and that that's the last line of the show, that he's counting on me to come find him. And it's like, I don't know what the intention or the focus of Ahsoka's journey is for the show because I haven't watched a single trailer on purpose. Um, like, I want to know if that's something we're going to see. If we're seeing Thrawn, are we going to see Ezra Bridger? Are we going to see Ezra Bridger pop up in the show? Because at this point, we're getting a lineup of Jedi in this point of the of the of the universe. Him, Cal, um, Mandalorian in the mix. I mean, uh, Grogu. Like these are people who are like the next class, the next class of Jedi. And I want to see what comes from them in the future too. So hoping this show says something to that, does something to that effect. And I can't wait to see where Ahsoka ends up too in light of all that. Cause she's a legend, bro. She's a legend at this point already. And so, I mean, when she pops up in that episode in, in Mando season two, it was breathtaking. That was one of the best episodes for a reason. And I think that Rosario's doing a good job too. I know a lot of people don't like her and they feel like, ah, ah the costume design, the way she looks. Listen, bro. Come on, bro. She, she's cooking. She's Come on, let's let her cook. Just let her cook, bro. Just let her cook. The, honestly, we if there's anything Star Wars has proven, it's the content's already there, baby. You just got to ride. Come on, son. When it comes for what I hope comes out of Ahsoka is um, I would love to see Hayden Christensen interact with Ahsoka in live action. That would be dope. Whether it be a Force Ghost or a flashback, I'll take either. Um, maybe put him in Clone War armor, even though I'd rather have seen Obi-Wan in that, but whatever. Um, I would love to see Chopper being a menace as usual. I hope we get to find out where Ezra is after all this time for us who watched it live. Um, Tamara Morrison as Rex is something that I really, really want. So there, there's, a, there's a lot of possibilities, bro. What do you think about Tamara Morrison as Rex? you think that's a good idea? Heck yeah, bro. I'm, I'm with that now. I'm with that. I'm with that. I understand now. I understand. Listen, 
all in all, I want to just say thank you to you for pushing me to continue to dive into the Star Wars lore. This has been an excellent journey and it's the first of many that I will be watching. The same way you watch movies to catch up is the same way I got to I gotta get my content watching on. Um, I'm really glad I went through this journey. Again, man, I wrote a song, bro. It was so inspiring. I wrote a damn song. So it's like... Bro, bro, I'm excited to hear the song, dude. I really am. Um, I know we don't really do this much for TV shows specifically, but um, if you had to give a number rating to this, what would you give it? Bro, it's it's, it's like a 9.5, like a 9.7. Um, and the only reason why I put the, the anything that's not a 10 is because of what we've already said in terms of... Who knows what it could have been in a more mature setting, I suppose. Maybe the fight scenes, having some people get stabbed to death would have been sick. But, you know, same argument can happen for Avatar. For a show to not have to show you that and it still be really, really good, like both of those shows, man, it speaks for itself. But I'm just glad that you finished and I'm excited for the future. You know, again, it's my favorite Star Wars show on most days. And I, I think this rewatch secured that for me. But for the future, you you best believe here at Kozoab, we're going to be doing an Ahsoka Tano, you know, Ahsoka show related episode once it's all over. So please come back, tune in for that. So what about you? Did, did you enjoy Rebels? Have you seen Rebels? Uh, if not, I mean, if you listen to this whole episode, you you got to. I mean, we might have spoiled a bunch, but it's still a journey worth going through. Or maybe really what you can tell us in maybe the YouTube comments or in response to our episode here on Spotify is what do you want to see from Ahsoka that's tied to Rebels? That's really uh, what we're all embarking on together now that I'm finally caught up. Uh, we thank you so much for listening to another episode of Cuzzlewop. You know when we're talking Star Wars, we're going to geek out one, and you can always guarantee that Star Wars content will make its way into, into what we're talking about. About here uh, next week we're going to be jumping into blue beetle uh the new dc film that's come out that is not connected to what's to come so we'll see how that goes but uh, it'll be another great journey here at kazawap where you know you'll always find two cousins one podcast endless entertainment peace